0: Thank you. everyone, and welcome back to the Sports Pro Streamtime Podcast. Although you've grown used to being introduced by an Australian accent, I can assure you that you don't need to adjust the dials on your radio. You are in fact tuned into the winningest podcast discussing the sports and OTT broadcast landscape. For those of you new to the podcast, my name is Chris Stone, and I'm the Senior Content Manager here at Sports Pro Media. Hopefully, through audio osmosis, you can feel my energy as I'm still riding the high of my hometown Cincinnati Bengals snapping their 31-year playoff win drought. Joining me, as always, is the managing director here at SportsPro, Nick Meacham. So, Nick, I have to ask: Are you equally basking in the radiance of my energy that I'm giving off to be back
1: for another episode of Stream Time? <laughs> am I basking in your energy? Um, well, look, you just had the, the you've just come off the Bengals winning their first playoff in like 30 years, so it's very. I am enjoying your energy. Uh, I don't think I'll ever it'll ever be matched be matched again but good to be back with you chris as always i'll try and bring the energy but i've just come off a weekend where it was my uh son's birthday and we had to put uh, had had to hire a hall out for 25 four-year-olds screaming and running around like crazy so i have the opposite of energy i'm i'm done but you're bringing it back you're bringing it into the mix and i'm uh, i'm feeling it i'm ready to go well, I'm sure the three and four year olds brought plenty of energy. So we'll just keep bringing it and we're ready to
0: go. Now, off the back of all these positive vibes, I do want to let everyone know that our big brother podcast, the Sports Bro podcast, has been nominated. Or is the best sports business podcast by Sports Podcast Awards? And I do apologize for the amount of times I use the word podcast in one sentence, but I did manage to make it through. Now, part of that process of finding the winner is by voting. So we'd be incredibly grateful if you could show support and send a vote for the Sports Pro podcast. Again, you can go visit the website sportspodcastawards.com and you should be able to find a link to that to be able to vote for us. We'd be really grateful once again. So now, We've made through the introductions. We can officially sort of jump into everything. There's been quite a bit of news going on that we can discuss. I think for me, though, we're going to stay in the NFL world. And, you know, for me, my favorite thing of this was the Nickelodeon broadcast of the NFL. Now, obviously, that is sort of targeted for a younger demographic. But as I watch that, the thing I keep thinking about is it's just sort of the start of where AR can be included in live broadcasts. And although they've done that, you know, targeted at a younger audience, it makes me wonder what we could see more of in the future for broadcast, even for people of our age.
1: Nick, you know, what what are your thoughts around what Nickelodeon's doing with that? Well, AR has actually had a, a sneakily uh, quite a disruptive impact in the way sports has been consumed over the years. If you think about things like in the NFL, the the showcase of the the ten yard line is a form of AR, uh, or the first the first down line. Uh, in swimming you have things like the world record line where the swimmers are chasing the line trying to to hit those those records Uh, in america's cup and others you see a lot of ar you also see the tour tracker in the pga tour which has been a game changer for broadcast those things are only a pretty small fraction of the the scale of what ar what nickelodeon is bringing to the table with the ar um presentation on their feed and those that haven't seen it go check it out on youtube it's an absolute slime fest um where there's a lot going on uh, i think from memory the ratings last year um they haven't come out for this year's uh, most recent broadcast was about 2 million viewers which makes up about a little bit under 10% i think of the total viewership um but still significant numbers for you know giving uh, the nfl access to new audiences uh, and obviously, with a relationship with c b s that Nickelodeon has as part of the the parent company um why not? Why not do it you know it doesn't doesn't really impact them on the commercial front. It was the most viewed show on Nickelodeon in years uh, several years and they had it on so it obviously has a lot of impact um Will we see people getting slimed on the main stream probably not, probably not but uh, why not add a bit of extra layer of fun and excitement into the, the experience every now and again? You just got to be careful. Fans are fickle, uh, and if you mess with their mess with their feed that they've come they've come to know and love, you might rue that day. But I think AR has will continue to play an ever increasing role in the broadcast experience and in sports, just maybe not getting slimed. Oh, I w- I would love to see it. But I do remember when
0: they first brought the-, the sky came into the NFL. And as you say, fans being very fickle, there were plenty of opinions based on, I don't like this angle. Please go back to the wide broadcast. But I think it's interesting. I- I'm curious to see how it can expand. Moving forward into some of the news, we saw some announcements from Netflix regarding new original documentary series, uh, focusing both on the PGA Tour as well as the ATP now this is really interesting, you know, I think this started with the Drive to Survive series by Formula 1 and part of that was to to go after a new demographic that perhaps weren't previously interested in Formula 1 and I know we've had plenty of conversations with people within our network and at our events sort of saying is this a sustainable strategy because everyone loves how beautiful these series all come out but anyone that's involved will tell you that they're a long process and they're an incredibly expensive process, but it seems there's more people jumping onto this
1: bandwagon. So what are your your thoughts about some of these new series coming? Well, look, it's it's almost overdue, I'd say, in terms of everyone in the industry has been talking about the impact that the that that F1 has received from having the drive to survive series, and it's only escalated towards the end of this season, which has been one of the most intensely competitive seasons in recent time. Uh, and we have seen other series that have done really, really well, like the All or Nothing series, which I think is on Amazon, if I remember correctly, uh, and, and a few other series that do exist, uh School of Hard Knocks and the NFL and and so forth. Um but I actually remember speaking to Paul Martin, uh, who's the CEO of Box to Box Films many years ago, uh several years ago, when they when they kicked off the, the Drive to Survive series. And even then, he was telling me for season two, they had to start filming um before the first season had finished uh had been released etc before they had got uh the green light from netflix for season two they had to start going to australia and filming because if they didn't they'd miss out on the season so they had to take a punt uh on that happening such is the i guess the the say the dynamism of of the the sort of the, the broadcasting world or the production world where you have to take a little bit of a punt on these sorts of things and Uh, I think now what we've we've seen, I think, is a, a sort of a definitive shift in that power power balance, where then box to box films was having to work their backsides off to get, you know, produce all this content to get buy in from not only the rights holder to do it in the first place, but also Netflix to take the series. And now that balance has shifted completely, where all the rights holders are going, "Hey, box to box, please create." Uh, a documentary series for us. We want to have the same impact to our series. And Netflix is going, hey, it was one of the highest rating documentary series we've had. We'll take more of it. We've got a a massive um, treasure, ch- treasure chest of money to throw at original content. Why not? So makes loads of sense for it to happen. Surprise has taken this long. Really interested to see how different the documentary series feels because I think everyone is expecting a plug and play experience where you're going to say, Oh, you just remove the drivers with the, with the athletes from golf or tennis. And that's what you're going to get in the PGA tour series and the, uh, and the, and the tennis series. It won't be that way. I'm expecting it to be quite a different experience. I think uh, in the PGA tour announcements, they announced uh, a good half a dozen of the, the top, top tour pros being uh, mentioned as part of the release to be majorly profiled in that series. Some of the bigger names, your Brooks Kepkers and so forth of the world that, You know, lead that tour, Uh, and in the tennis announcement, they said that they they were launching um, this this series this year, um, as the Australian Open is part of that. Pretty good timing. There's been a bit of news. Um, Fewer people might have caught with the Novak Djokovic saga, so everyone's really excited to see what comes out of that because you get this incredible behind-the-scenes look of what's going on. Right. The question for for me is that the drive to survive series comes out at the end of the season, right? If we have to wait six to nine months or 12 months for this to happen, no, there isn't really an end of season in the, in tennis. It's always kind of happening. Um, it might lose a bit of that opportunity to, to, to ride the wave where it'd be great if it was a bit more real time. Um, but look, really exciting for them to get uh, um, you know, effectively one of the world's, the world's leading broadcast platforms, a platform to showcase their sports, which uh, aren't for everyone. Um, but will be a huge marketing platform for their athletes to to get exposure to.
0: Yeah, certainly a large opportunity for the, for those individual athletes um, selected. And, you know, you think about the other one, uh, the last dance with Michael Jordan, certainly part of that's going to be driven by the individual star power, which to your point, there's no guarantee that the, the athletes that are going to be part of this new series are going to be as exciting as what we saw in Drive to Survive. But uh, I know the PGA Tour also has a little bit of drama uh between their golfers and yes, obviously the Australian Open for anyone living under a rock's had a few uh details in the news here recently that I'm sure
1: will be uh people will wanna see behind the scenes on that if they can. When you talk about that though, Chris, one of the one of the things you've got to think about as well is a lot of that drama in F1 comes from the team principles and comes from the back of house side of things. Um where this is I think is gonna be really built around the athletes, way more like you know, you've got your Toto Wolfs and Christian Hornets which, which catch a lot of the limelight, that's not going to be the case. This is going to be pretty heavily around the Djokovic's, Federer's, Kepka's, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's going to be quite a different dynamic and um, really interesting to see how it all pans out. Well, the more sports that Netflix can have, the happier I'll be.
0: Um, So transitioning, a story that we actually discussed before Christmas, actually, uh, was around the BT Sport acquisition and their desires to kind of get out of sports in general. And we talked about, you know, Discovery potentially being an option for them following your interview with Andrew Giorgio. But now news is coming out that we're actually potentially getting really close to a deal specifically with DAZN. Um, looks like it's in the neighborhood of around 800 million pounds it still needs some agreements that need to be put into place there as well as some agreements from uh, competitors in sky but it looks like we are getting a little bit closer so what what are your thoughts on that as we have some more news on where that's potentially developing
1: so yeah i think they have reported 800 million dollars so take off about 15 to 20 percent off that that number and you're at 630 million or so pounds if that adds up correctly and actually did some maths, uh, which is frightening for everyone, but uh, I did a bit of a, um, some quick numbers to work out what the rights were that they actually have because basically what zone are trying to buy, as we've talked about before, is they're buying the rights so they could hit the ground running and they're trying to buy audience, right? The audience bit is the complicated bit. Also, the agreement from the other local carriage um organizations like sky and virgin media which have to also agree to the deal but put that to a side they're trying to buy the rights and they're trying to buy audience ready made right ready to go i added up so the, the two deals that they have they have the premier league uh, bt sport has a premier league until 2024 they paid just under 400 million for that for three years um the champions league europa league and the conference league they paid about $1.2 billion over three years, so $400 million a year until 24. So I'm guessing till the end of the season in the mid-24. I'm, I'm assuming, making some assumptions here. They've also got Serie A, rugby, um, WWE, MotoGP, GP, etc. So roughly the value based on what they've paid just for the Champions League and Premier League alone is about a billion pounds. So there's a billion pounds of rights value there they're getting offered a price of 625 to get those rights plus get a ready-made audience. I mean, that's a pretty good deal for DAZN to get into. But it just shows that how much BT Sport wants to get out of this current agreement. They have to get out because they're losing money on this. They would not take such a haircut on these rights unless there was a reason for it, right? Um, so really interesting to see that. The, the challenge is that that whole issue around audiences. BT. Uh, are really worried about if they pull the BT Sport product, what impacts are going to have on people that have bought the bundle? So bought BT Sport plus their telco bundle, and the zone's concerned about hey, we buy this audience ready-made, we try and shift them into the the zone platform. We don't want to lose seventy-five percent of our audience. We want to keep as many of those people as possible. So just interesting to think about the dynamics there. They're taking a massive haircut on on the the, the rights that they they've committed to. Uh, what I don't know about particulars is. Um, have they pre-committed to all those those costs or does DAZN, DAZN pick up some of the tab? Um, and interestingly, just today reported by, I think, uh, our friends at Sport Business was that the CEO of uh, has, who was in the betting game, uh, who was co-CEO, has now become the single CEO. Uh, and he comes from a betting background uh, with Ntain, one of the biggest betting companies in the world. And their CFO, the new CFO, is from Amazon Prime Video. So it seems to be that they're making some moves and getting ready to do something. But really interesting, I think, just when you start looking at the basic numbers there. Absolutely.
0: And that, unfortunately, brings us kind of close to the end of our time that we get to spend together on a weekly basis, Nick. But we do have a little bit of time left just to talk about the next podcast, where we're going to be hearing from Sergio Osle, who's the president over at Movistar, one of the major broadcasters in Spain. So before we kick it over to that, Nick, what, what does the audience need to know about Movistar?
1: Well, Movistar is one of the biggest, um, let's say, broadcasters and telcos uh, in Spain, it has a real uh, myriad of major uh, media rights, sports media rights in particular. Is built effectively, I would say, a bit like a, a BT sport, I'm uh, sorry, a BT in terms of it has a, a sports offering as a key part of its product, has quite a comprehensive um, array of content in its broadcast portfolio, and it's Movistar plus um, streaming product has been going really, really well in its growth. Um, so in this in this uh, conversation, you're going to hear a lot about Sergio's take on the sports rights market, how they're looking at at it, because we're seeing a lot of changes in in the dynamic of that, um, and also why they've partnered with more of their competitors, and like with people like DAZN around content. Historically, the broadcast market was so competitive, but we're now seeing more of this collaboration. Uh, in the market. Interesting thing with Sergio and why he's really good to listen to, he's quite contrarian in his view uh, um, compared to a lot of other people in the industry about the impact streaming's having and so forth. They aren't trying to move as quickly as, say, some of the others are in other, in other countries. They're taking it quite quite uh, more calmly, let's say. Uh, and he just really sells, I guess, the, the value that the Telco bundle is still a really strong product for them, whereas in other markets, again, like the UK and US, we're seeing this we're seeing the shift completely away from that. So it's really interesting to listen to hear someone who leads uh, you know, a broadcast platform that has such a, a prominent place in the sports market in one of the biggest markets in Europe have a little bit of a different view to what we hear from other broadcast platforms.
0: Well, there you have it, everyone. If you want some new opinions that go, ac- go against the grain, you'll want to stay tuned and hear more. And I'll hand things back over to Nick for his interview with Sergio.
1: thrilled to be joined by Sergio Osler, president of the platform, who's going to help us get our heads around the ecosystem over there. Welcome to the show, Sergio. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Nick. And thanks, everybody, for inviting me.
1: Let's start with you before we dig into uh, Movistar quickly. Uh, I was having a look at your background, and you actually spent 13 years with McKinsey, for joining Movistar Plus about four years. 18,
2: 18 years. How, it felt like, like 15 years. 18 yes. years,
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to first just hear, how did you make the shift into the sports broadcasting world from a, from an organization like McKinsey?
2: Well, it was basically, um, I guess, uh, like in most cases, it, w- it was a bit of luck, or it was mostly luck. Um, I was I was serving... Uh, both telco companies and both media companies, um, out of fun, actually. We didn't, uh, started doing that in the very early ages. Um, before it was so obvious that they we're going on a, on a integration uh, path. Um, so I had good, I was serving Telefonica, uh, at the time I was serving Telefonica mainly on the telco business. Uh, and I knew them quite well. And I was serving, uh, media, media companies uh, elsewhere. And uh because, as you may know, um they had the strategy to uh, bring together telco and media. They thought that a profile like mine um, was was perfect for the role. Hopefully, they were they were right. Let's see.
1: Now you're four years in. Tell us where Movistar Plus was when you joined. Was it? How? how where was it? At, I guess in its maturity.
2: Yeah, I mean, as as where we are now, and then we we'll, can talk maybe about some of the things that we changed. Um, we are uh the uh, pay, the traditional pay tv leader in, in spain we have uh, around 4 million uh subscribers uh, think about i don't know it would be kind of like a the sky in the uk or kind of plus in france that that kind of player uh the the, uh, the main difference compared to those kind of players is that uh, as of today we only sell tv linked together with broadband so if you want to have the tv from Movistar plus um uh you, you need to have the broadband from us as well and the mobile phone uh, from us as well. So TV is positioned as a business on itself, obviously, but also as a differentiator of our overall um, communi- communication package. And uh, the changes that we've experienced in the past four years, I guess, the changes that everybody's uh, sort of experiencing across industries, it's changed quite a bit. Um, when I joined, we will have uh, many of the sport rights in the country were exclusive to us. We will have exclusive agreements with all of the infection majors uh, out there. And and now we're sifting towards, um, because as we are losing uh, some of that content in, in some cases, because they own majors major are launching their own d 2 c offerings, uh, we are sifting towards uh, allocating part of a budget to our own production. And we, we accelerated that tremendously. And also uh, to uh, having partnership, I think very, very good partnerships with uh, OTT players around the world.
1: So the the positioning, I suppose, of Movistar Plus as a, as a platform has changed a lot over the last few years. Um, from what you're sort of uh, intimating there, M- more of a collaborative relationship with some of the other broadcasters than perhaps working in silo. Would you say? Yeah, I think
2: I think our position has changed, but everybody's position in the market has changed as well. Uh, when I joined, uh, three and a half years ago, Netflix was starting to become big in this country. And there were people still, um, and just using Netflix as a reference because they were the first ones. And, and some people within our company thought that Netflix was the enemy. Some people definitely at Netflix uh, thought that we were their enemy, people like us, uh, in the different markets. I think we've come a, a long way. Uh, and we've realized that, uh, we are not enemies. We need to work together. And the way that we see it now is that these guys, they're the new majors for us in the same way that when we were dealing with uh Warner or Disney back in the old days, and we were buying content from them, um, they weren't all there, they weren't, we were partners, they were, we were not competing necessarily. Um, now it's the same thing with people like Netflix and others. Uh, there's one thing, uh, where we compete, but, um. Uh, but it's actually because of us because we decided to go in 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 there which is we we do compete for um, uh for our own production so when we are launching a fiction or something like that we want to have the best talents uh, these guys they want to have the best uh, talent for the local fictions so we, we we do compete there the same for sports we do compete for some rights obviously uh but that's like a healthy competition and other than that we have a very healthy partnership
1: So the the, the marketplace um, is changing a lot um, and how you're looking at sport, I suppose, in particular is probably changing somewhat as well. Um, Is sport now in a place, particularly on the live sports side, becoming more or say less valuable to you in terms of what impact it has to the business?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think the answer will depend on on the specific sport. Um, I think... um, I think what we've realized in the past few years is that uh, there tends to be a polarization, uh, at least for us, I and mean, when we see from our data and our analysis. I mean, um, it used to be back in the day that we had all of the sports in the world, and for most of them, we were actually overpaying. Uh, it was really not worth it, and um, we just let go of those sports. Um, I mean, our clients they still have access to them, uh, either because they get them through... I don't know, like an OTD player, like the case of the Zone in Spain, um, or because they get it through us because we have an agreement with the Zone. But we don't really need to overpay for the exclusivity because it really doesn't make a difference. And actually, when we let go of some of that sport, the reality is that we, we have zero impact uh, in our in our customer base. And uh, uh, whether you look at it from an RPU level or from a or from a um, customer uh, for subscribers uh, number. Um, so I think that some, some sports, same thing happens with fiction, by the way. I mean, uh, some channels, some sports, there are fillers and that's okay. We need fillers as well, or they attack a very specific niche. Um, uh, whereas some other sports are becoming extremely valuable and extremely important because they are really, um, uh, they, they they really move the needle in terms of of subscribers and in terms of our view. I mean, there's a clear difference. If you lose some sports, uh, we we estimate that the impact in in our view and subscriber base would be would be significant, and we have to try to protect that.
1: Could you talk us through? So you mentioned sports a little bit there, and, and you're being a bit more pragmatic, I suppose, with how you're looking at sports rights right now. Um, what are some of those sports that you do have um, the top tier sports properties that you have in the portfolio which ones really are moving the needle for you with regards to subscribers
2: well in our, in our case um, the ones that are moving the needle are the ones that we have currently because we went through that cleaning process uh, in a bit and i, I, I maybe i should also uh, um, highlight the fact that of course, in the end, it also depends on the cost for the rights. I mean, every single sport moves the needle in some way. I mean, there's not a, a single sport that wouldn't attract if, if only like 200 people. I mean, there's some people that are really fans of their sport. I think that the trick there is not so much uh, whether you want that sport or not, it's more around whether it's worthwhile to have their sport and to have that exclusively. Because one of the great things that has happened with uh, global uh, players as well, um, or regional players when it comes to OTT is that these guys, I mean, in the past, it used to be like, um, uh, it was an exclusive offer. And, and, and the decision for us, it's, uh, whether we have this movie or this sport on, and if we don't have it, uh, somebody else will and our clients won't be able to access that content. So if you were a fan of, I don't want to name any specific sport, but let's say curling, which is not great. I mean, it's not a big sport in Spain. I don't think we. I don't think you can actually watch curling as well. Maybe through Eurosport, but it's not big really. But, um, uh, but if you say if, if, if we didn't go after the rights of curling and, um, Vodafone gets those rights, then if you, if you were a subscriber of Movistar, you wouldn't be able to access curling unless, uh, you moved to more to Vodafone and abandoned us completely. Uh, the great thing about these OTT players is that they're fairly, you know, uh, um, transparent when it comes to um, uh, to platforms like us. So if we do lose curling and the uh, gets curling, it's not such a big deal. It means that uh, we lose the exclusivity. So you can access curling uh, if you're in Moda, Movistar or Vodafone orange or whatever it is. But if you're truly passionate about that sport and you're a client of Movistar Plus, you can still access that. Uh, not exclusively. Uh, we're not going to retain you. I mean, you could move to Vodafone tomorrow and still watch curling, so it's not a retention tool, but we don't necessarily uh, lose our view or, or customers in that process as long as we have uh, an additional set of things uh, that can uh, increase the loyalty of the customer
1: So keeping engagement through building out a, a comprehensive program of content, not just reliant upon sports, but also wider, wider entertainment, a, a common strategy now we're seeing right across the industry of, the, uh, diversifying the reliance, I suppose, on, on different sets of rights outside of sports as well. Um, so where you are today, and if it sounds like you were you spending a lot on sports rights, you've become more pragmatic with that. Would it be fair to say that that side of the business was more of a loss leader uh, in terms of building out the whole bundle of what you were selling to customers, which is, quite again, quite a common um, strategy from uh, the telco side? Uh, And is that shifted now where you're trying to keep a much more balanced financial approach or or has it become a profit area for you now? Uh, What's that dynamic feel like uh, or or look like from your point of view?
2: Yeah, actually for us, it it was not a loss-making area. It it never was. TV in general and and sports within it. uh, We are lucky or unlucky enough to be heavily regulated uh, because uh, we used to be the incumbent in this country. Uh, so, by definition, by regulation, we cannot lose money, uh, which is a funny way to run a business, actually, even if we <laughs> wanted to. I mean, there's, uh, we have a ton of, of people around here in these offices uh, checking all of our numbers, making sure that we don't do weird things. Uh, so, we need to make money, <laughs> or at least for a sustained amount of time. Otherwise, uh, we, I mean, uh, we, we, we get into some kind of trouble. Um, so it wasn't a matter that we let go of some stuff because we were losing money there. Uh, it, it's just a matter of uh, how do you optimize the resources that you have? So we let go, I mean, because we also had a vision of um, using uh, those resources and things that clients were demanding more and more um, and things that we needed to further differentiate ourselves. Uh, in the case of our own production, or reaching reaching uh, agreements with, with global players. So in order to finance that, we needed to let go of, of some of the things that um that we were dealing with in the past. And uh and we let go of the things that were less profitable for us and the things that we thought that wouldn't really have an impact on our customer base. Um but it, it, it is it's never been a loss making business standalone, then it continues not to be uh, so.
1: Okay. So can you just, for those people that aren't, there's a lot of uh, people watching this that are not based in the Spanish market. So just talk us through the business model that you do have. Like How much are you guys charging for the bundle offering that you are delivering to the market? What's the what's the framework that you're basically making making money, uh, making a nice profitable business as you just described?
2: Yeah, well, it depends. It depends on, the, I mean, we have a ton of packages, but basically the, the initial guess is that um, we have a product that is called Fusion. Uh, fusion, you would say that in English, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. within that product, you have, a broadband, uh, line, uh, connectivity. We have, a, we have a huge, uh, coverage of fiber in Spain. Um, so most of our customers are on, uh, 600 megs uh, connectivity. And we do offer for some customers one gig. Well, we offer one gig for all customers, but most of our customers are still, uh, on 600 meg. Then we, we add to that mobile phones. Uh, Within Fusion, all our mobile phones have unlimited data. And then we add on top of that, uh, TV. And you have a basic package that starts at around uh, 70 euros, which has like a broadband line, and um, uh, with that, it should be around 600 meg. And uh, and then you have a mobile phone with unlimited data, and then you have like what you would call basic cable in, in the US, I guess. Um, we do have some sports there. We have our own channel there that is called Vamos. It's like the ESPN uh, here in, uh, here in Spain, or we, we, at least we try to be. Um, and then we do, we do have our own original production there as well. And like some channels that you will know from, you know, the past, like TNT and stuff like that, the Fox and, and so on and so forth. And as you add more money into the mix, uh, you migrate up to different packages. And as you migrate up to different packages, you have an upgrade in both your communications uh, and your um, and your content. So I would say the most expensive package that we have it's around 180 euros, something like that, which has everything. It has like um, four mobile phones with a limited data, one gig to your home, and all of the content that we can offer our clients.
1: Sounds like an absolute bargain. I'd sign. I'd sign myself up <laughs> if I was living in Spain. That's for sure. Um Okay. So so. One of the, the goals we want to have from this session is for for the wider industry uh, to understand a bit more about the Spanish market. So we have, I think, we're starting to get a good sense of Movistar Plus's position. Can you just and you've touched upon how the competitive marketplace looks like, but could you just quickly talk to us about maybe how that competitive landscape does look? Is it you know is it super competitive? Who are the main broadcasters um, in the market, particularly from a sports perspective? Obviously. Uh, just to set that scene a little bit more.
2: So um, uh, there's been quite a change in that market, as, as I, was, uh, I was I was uh, talking about earlier. Up until fairly recently, um, there were basically, um, uh, there was a satellite provider, uh, which was Digital Plus. That was, well, it was like, I don't know, seven years ago or so. It was the market leader, and it was competing um, head-to-head with um with the offering from from Movistar, from Telefónica, which uh, was based on IPTV and OTT, by the way. Um, And then uh, we were also all competing with uh, the likes of uh, other telco companies like Vodafone and Orange uh, that were offering more like a traditional cable TV uh, distribution. Um, So they wouldn't have their own programming, they wouldn't have their own channels, uh, but they would reach agreement with with other other, other channels, the classical cable channels. Uh, that changed uh, some years ago, before I even joined, when uh, Telefonica had acquired the, the satellite uh, player. Um, so it was basically now, which is now called Movistar Plus. Uh, so Movistar Plus has some satellite uh, distribution, which is fairly, fairly small. And it's becoming even smaller. And our true competitors are people like Vodafone and Orange. And we're all offering, uh, bundle TV. Uh, the way that we offer bundle TV, the traditional way that I just is plain, and both on an orange, they can, they have access to third parties, obviously. And they also have access, uh, to some of our premium content because, uh, as a result of the acquisition of PK Plus, uh, we were, we were, um, we were forced into, uh, some remedies. Uh, that force us to offer some more premium content to people like Vodafone and Orange. So, for instance, uh, we have all the football rights uh, in, in Spain now, Champions League and La Liga and everything. But we are forced to offer those rights as a wholesale uh, to uh, people like Orange and Vodafone for a price that is calculated uh, by this, like, the, the regulator agency. Uh, so that's that's how it used to work. Uh, it's a very traditional landscape. What has changed, obviously, in the past is that um, uh, there's this launch of these uh, D2Cs uh, in fiction. Uh, that's been happening, as you all know, for for quite a, a while. Uh, they're very present in Spain now. Netflix uh, is uh, it's clearly the market leader. Uh, but also, Prime Video is coming up uh, very strong. Their Prime Video is linked to the Prime offering from Amazon. And it's really cheap. It's like less than 40 euros a year. Um, and then we also have, uh, referring to your question around the uh, sport, uh, we have a, 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 a specific um, uh, player in, in Spain that you all know, I guess, which is a zone. Uh They they got into um, a, into the market, leveraging the fact, that you could even claim that we left the door open uh, for them, intentionally or unintentionally, but we let go of some of the sport rights and, and they took that opportunity to launch uh, their business in Spain. Um, and, uh, for, for the initial two years, um, I mean, they're, they're nice guys and we get along fine, but we didn't work together. We were not partners. Uh, so for the, for the initial, I think two years or so, um, they were basically uh, on their own. And, uh, since like a year or so, uh, we established an integration partnership with them. Uh, so now that's always integrated for all of our medium to high up customers it's included within their bundle. Um, we get along very well with them as, as you say, and it's, it's the classical situation with the zone or Netflix or Disney or whatever, we do compete, we do compete in, in in some, in, in the case of the zone, in, in, in the case of some sporting rights, um, we do compete there, obviously. So, I mean, we, mo- both of us, we might be interested in the Premier League or in that case we compete for those rights. Um Uh, But other than that, obviously, uh, we also have a distribution uh, agreement and and we
1: are all fine. Yeah, it's an interesting um, situation, isn't it? We've seen it in a few markets where a mix of regulation and a mix of, um, I guess, the challenges around monetization of premium rights leads to a lot more and more collaboration, particularly in a time where we're seeing the behavioral shift or the, the change in the way Uh, content is consumed you know from this more traditional linear to the more streaming the streaming world are are you seeing that it's having an impact on on uh, i guess to your business you know in terms of the fact that you aren't able to uh what would you call it ring fence these these premium rights let's say that the football rights you have having to sell those back at a at a regulated price must have an impact uh on your business and also for them for the next cycle. What's the incentive for you to be bidding a premium rate? Because I guess you could do the same the other way around and let someone else take the burden of those rights. So how do you navigate that?
2: You're absolutely right. I think there's a, there's a, again there's a, I think I have this opinion that it seems like the world have changed a lot and the industry has changed a lot and it, and it has obviously. Uh, but my very personal opinion, obviously I might be completely wrong, is that. I don't think the industry really has changed that much. Uh, what, what is changing is the players that are leading the industry. Um, mm-hmm. so if you think of a, going back to your, um, um, sports example, if, if, if you look at the, uh, um, the case of, of the zone and our relationship with the zone, and you might find it weird, but, um, the reality that we've been dealing as an industry with something like that for many, many years in the case of, for instance, Eurosport. I mean, Eurosport, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the case of discovery, I mean, they used to stream channels. That's fine. I think that, by the way, I think sports will go back to channels at some point because just using OTT for, this, I mean, I don't, well, anyway, that's another, that's a long story, but, uh, other than the technical thing, whether it is IPTV, OTT satellite, which to me is like a fairly relevant, uh, <laughs> element. Um, the truth is that these guys, uh, we were competing with them for rights, I and mean, in the case of tennis, for instance, a great example in, in Spain. I mean, uh, we we got the rights for uh, Wimbledon, so it's Wimbledon you can only enjoy that exclusively through us, and they have the rights for all the other three majors. And uh, we would have loved to have one one more major, at least a Grand Slam. Um, uh, we couldn't because we were competing with them, and we didn't win the rights, and, and that's okay. But at the same time we have them integrated into a platform um and and the balance for people like us uh, that, because we are integrators and we can integrate these people whether it is your sport or whether it is uh the zone or where it is in the case of sports it's is is not i mean i i guess it's it's easier than even than what it was before um because these guys are also eager to go into d2c it's fine that it gives us um, a certain leverage, meaning that exactly what, what I was saying before is like a, the kind of decision that you have to take is not so much uh, whether I'm going to have this uh, event or not. It's more around whether I want to have these exclusively, whether I want to have these non-exclusively, but included within the price uh, for my clients, or whether I want to have these or not have these within my bundle. But my clients will be able to access that anyway. Um, for instance, in the case of Spain, I mean, we, we don't have, we did not reach an economic agreement. I guess at some point we will, but we don't have a, an agreement with HBO Max. Uh, they've launched in Spain. We don't have an agreement with them. Um, but that's all right. We, we have zero complaints from our clients saying, look, I cannot rewatch Games of Thrones because it's, it's exclusively in That's not the case. I mean, any of our clients, starting with myself, I can rewatch Game of Thrones perfectly. <laughs> I mean, I can do it in my in my TV anyway. It, it is true that it is not a movie place for that bill. And and, and 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 we'd rather do that. Don't don't get me wrong. We'd rather do that because we believe that it it gives a, a better uh, service to our customers. It enable us to do a, a certain bunch of things. But it, it is not such a big deal as it was back in the old days. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, like. Before I joined, them, so we, we went through, I mean, a year, many years ago, we went through a phase, uh, for instance, for, for some months where we didn't um, uh, got the um, Champions, League, Champions League rights. Somebody else did. And we didn't have access to that. So the only way that you could enjoy Real Madrid or Barcelona playing in the Champions League was if you were a client of Orange or Vodafone. you couldn't. Uh, watch any Champions League game if you were a Movistar client. That's, that's an issue. Uh, if tomorrow the Champions League rights are, uh, I mean, if Azone or Amazon or where it is, guess that, yes, we will lose some exclusivity And that's why it's not obvious for us. Otherwise we would just say, yeah, let's, let them take the I money. Mean, it's not good for us. <laughs> but if we live, if we believe that the price is right, it's not right. We have a little bit more flexibility because if Amazon gets those uh, rights, I know that my clients, my computer clients and my TV clients, will be able to watch Real Madrid. We will not build them for that. We, they will be less loyal to us because, of course, they can move to Pond and still watch them. But it's not going to be a big drama.
1: It's interesting. I think we've seen similar in the UK to some instances with what happened when Sky, uh, when BT, sorry, came to the market with their BT Sport offering. Uh, came to the market, took Champions League rights away. There was this huge competition initially between Sky and BT Sport. I remember uh, having conversations with one of them, refusing to attend some of our conferences if the other was going to be in the room. Uh, And now they have uh, partnership deals in place, uh, with carriage deals where it's much more friendlier. Fast forward again a little bit further, and now we're in a situation where the reports are BT Sport is set to be sold off by the the telecommunications uh, business, um, potentially by DAZN. Who knows whether that report will will come to fruition or not? Uh, but my question to you there is, um, obviously, it's a similar situation. Do you do you see? Um, I guess there are some similarities between, say, what BT Sport have done, and, and perhaps how you're running um, what you're doing at Movistar Plus. What do you think about that as a situation, the spinning off concept because obviously all of your business and your monetization sounds like it's almost exclusively built into a bundle um yep. so do you think that is the long term uh play, or do you think there's an argument whether it's either whether it's either um separating the businesses or at least just offering a direct consumer offering just for the platform that that needs to be something yeah. you need to look uh, at
2: and again, it's a very good question I, I, the answer is uh if I had to be very very honest the answer is i don't know, we don't know um because again it's, it's, it's like a balance um uh on one side i mean um, having um, having the the t v content tied to the broadband uh it brings huge value to both areas because um you know, for for the t v um having I mean, being distributed together with the leading communication player in the market, it enables uh, a tremendous stability and a tremendous growth. Uh, I think many of the OTT um, players, uh, they have the same feeling. I mean, there is a reason why all OTT players, ones that have been around for longer time, they're partnering with uh, with, the, with the leading distributors in each, in each market. And it's, it gives you a lot of stability uh, we're, we're selling machines. Uh, we, 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 I mean, a telco company, they know they, they, have channels. They have, they, they know how to reach customers. So, uh, I think that probably if, if we, if the TV business hadn't been partnered with the telco business, I don't think we would grow as much as we have grown in the past. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, at the same time also for the com- uh, connectivity, uh, business, uh, it's also, it's also, it's also a good deal because Enables you to differentiate yourself, uh, your connectivity, but sometimes it's not that obvious, a uh, differentiating factor. You have one additional element to be able to tell to your customers, look, it's good that you have the program with us or your mobile with us because you have access to this kind of content. So that's, um, is good at both sides. But I think we're also very, very, very aware of, um, of the fact that there's also, uh, drawbacks to this, um, the drawback for the TV is that once you have reached, uh, high enough penetration, uh, of your global customers, there's not a lot of place to grow. Um, we, we are starting to feel that. Um, and there's also for the, for the, uh, communications business, there is also a drawback that, uh, the economic cycle of both businesses is starting to diverge. It, it didn't, it was not like that only three years ago when I joined, but Right now, uh, especially in the media business, we're entering a phase where there's a bunch of people that they're not so much interested in making money, at least in the short terms. I would argue that some people are not interested in making money ever. <laughs> but uh, but uh, in this specific business, uh, because it's part of a broader, you know, set of uh, services. Uh, but we're living a little bit of a crazy uh, time that I think we will all recognize is not very sustainable going forward. Um, so the economic cycle of the media, of the media business, and the economic cycle of a sustainable and, and you know very mature business like a communication business is starting to diverge. Um, so it's, it's it's not obvious that uh, is uh, having both of them tied up is the optimal thing to do. So this is something that we're we're you know uh, um, rethinking all the time, and uh, well, well we'll see. So far so good. Aside. So far we still believe that the current. Uh, situation that I have is the one that optimises the value for us, Uh, but I'm I'm not, I don't feel that confident that we'll continue to be so in the future.
1: One of the challenges with sports rights is some of the regulations that exist around the limited um, rights cycles, Um, I believe it's three years in most markets for the the top tier rights, although we're starting to see um, in some markets those extend somehow. does the possibility, a question come in, uh, has come in from the audience, actually, was about this from T- Tim Westcott, which is, does the possibility of La Liga rights for six years make them discernibly more appealing to you? Well, the fact is that
2: there's, there's seven regulations that take place. I mean, one regulation um, um, impacts the way that their rights are sold, uh, the way that uh, La Liga uh, believes, and they have a strong uh, legal argument, I, I, I think. To believe that uh, that they have the right to sell their rights uh, in five years for five years for a five-year period um and they're willing to accept offers there uh for us uh again because we we are part we, we we have to lead through these remedies um it's not very obvious uh that we could do that or whether we should go just for an offering for three years um honestly uh the way that we look at it, uh, for us, is fairly indifferent. Um, we don't really have an issue. Um, I think the difference between three to five years uh, for us, for, example, for, 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 for our kind of business, um, doesn't really... We, I mean, yeah, we wouldn't mind going for five years. We don't mind going for three. It's not so much. If, if you tell me, like, in some of the places, you see, like, it's either three years or, or like, a 15-year commitment. Well, that's a different story. About three to five years. The only thing that I would, and it's more on a personal basis, the only thing that I would, I would, I would prefer around, uh, the five year deal is that it really feels like it was only yesterday that we were, you know, going with an offering for the, uh, La Liga rights, And it's already, I mean, it, it literally feels like yesterday. And it's like we're in the middle of the same cycle again. So it, it feels like, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like a couple more years, uh, I think, would be beneficial for all of us to, to, build, to build the asset together. And, uh, because it's like first year, you're getting to know each other. Second year, you're starting already. Uh, it's okay. And by the end of second year, you're starting to really think, okay, do we really want to go ahead and push this forward? Because we might not have it, actually, a year from now. Um, so it, it feels like it's too long or too short of a term. But, but again, for us, it's, it's fairly different
1: yeah i think the difference would be for a business that like yours that is mature that has an established audience uh, and proposition you don't need as long to make those rights work for you whereas if you're a new you player to the market three years is not going to be enough to build a sustainable business model around a premium set of rights i i would imagine as as well so yeah uh, you, and you we've seen claim
2: that you, some people do claim that uh nick i i'm not sure i mean uh, I'm not lucky enough to, to, uh, to be running one of those new OTT players, but honestly, if I were, I mean, if you're spending just in rights, if you're spending over a billion euros a year, and if you haven't been able to prove that you can make a profit out of that after three years, so you're probably thinking over three billion just in revenue. I mean, I don't know if two extra years will work for you. <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I mean, but, uh, but, 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 again, yes, uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out. I mean, on the other hand, if you're making a strong bet and you're committing, having, I, mean, I guess, committing five billion against committing three billion, uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be a con there as well. But, uh, but, but as you say, I think that for us, because we're more mature and we don't have to deal with those kind of things and we already have the subscribers, so we don't have to build a new custom base. Um, it's, it
1: feels fairly different. Well, one of the reasons these longer cycles are in place, particularly in the US, and they're coming with more flexibility, I suppose, is because of this shift in the way consumption is having, uh, is happening um, across uh, the consumers. Um, does that play a role for you as well, or is that not really a factor because you're, you are everywhere effectively in your distribution strategy?
2: But why? Why would it? Why? Well, in which way does it impact uh, the, the, the? Well, land? in
1: terms of because because of the shift towards more and more streaming,
2: and particularly in markets like the
1: US, where the streaming adoption is becoming stronger and, and more prominent, um, cable and so forth is still the leader, but there is starting to see yeah. a, a reduction in subscriptions and users at home to a, a, a streaming platform. So, I, I I guess in terms of Sort of riding the wave of that of that change in in consumption that obviously has an impact for those OTT dedicated businesses that um, still have to break the behaviour of the you know the incumbents as well, and that's probably where those longer cycles can pot- potentially play a role. Do you think?
2: Uh, I don't know. I couldn't tell. I, I honestly, and I, and, and excuse me for my obvious bias, uh, which is, um, it's a, it's a subconscious bias. I, I don't mean this because I have to say this. I mean, I, I, I say this because I strongly believe it. I don't think really streaming makes a difference. Um, uh, honestly, I think that what makes a difference, uh, is the, is that there's an appetite now, um, for investors. And I think that's good. Um, um to to build to bet on on plays that feel global and so there's some there's a lot of money around to be willing to put money behind um guys that are willing to take a global uh bets uh yes you could argue that technology facilitates that so i mean especially if you look back 20 years ago where there was like nothing there was cable or <laughs> there was satellite so it was very difficult for a player based in Spain to move to whatever it is um, because I mean, you, you, you didn't have access, but I don't think that has changed so much in the past five years or so. I think that technology has been enabling that for quite a while already. Uh, even you could do that with the previous technology. I mean, we could have uh, people like us, uh, we could have bought La Liga rights, and we've got spend like, I don't know, two billion a year in the sport rights. And launch it a, a global, you know, a sport, uh, thing globally. Uh, yes, we will have to reach with an agreement with somebody in the U.S. to carry our signal, but we, we could have done that. It was not the technology thing that prevented us from doing that. I don't think how, I don't think, honestly, I don't think the secret to, uh, if you, if you look at players, the OTC players that are more mature, like Netflix, and I'm, I, I know for a fact that they don't believe this and they're probably, they're, they're absolutely right. They're probably right, but. I don't believe that the secret to the, to Netflix success worldwide has anything to do with technology. Um, I, th- I don't think, I think that they might have started as uh, an alternative distribution mechanisms and they might have seen our people like us, uh, like their competitors, but we are not the competitors anymore. I think they realized that a long time ago. Uh, they're competing with Disney. And the, the, the secret to the success of Netflix is that they found a the model, um, in which they could scale, uh, the investment that they, they provided in content. They could scale that very rapidly uh, globally. And of course, technology facilitates that. I'm not claiming that it's, it has like zero. I mean, it, it it's enable. It's, is it's, it's great when you just push a button and you're present in 150 countries. Uh, but Disney didn't have that and they had agreements with people like us across 150 countries. And, um, I'm not sure i mean i don't I don't know, but I'm not sure if Disney has more customers now than it used to it, it access most most more customers now than they used in the past. You could argue that uh, for people like ourselves i mean uh, more clients of us had access to Disney before than they do have now so I, I don't think again I don't think it has to do with technology enabling a global reach The global reach was already there I think that the the thing that has really uh made a difference is that there is some guys that came up and came up and they were super smart to came up with a business model that enabled them to spend like 10 billion, 15 billion, whatever it was, uh, a year in content and to come up with a business model that enabled them to monetize that investment on a global scale. Uh, but you could argue that people like Disney or ESPN in the case of sports could have done this 15 years ago. They could have done it. I mean, ESPN could have bought the, uh You don't need that zone to come over to Spain to, you know, be super smart and have an OTT to buy the Liga rights. ESPN could have done it 10 years ago. And the reason why they did it, oh, you know, I guess, it was, it had nothing to do with technology.
1: All you need is a ten billion dollar uh, runway to, to build a business and create a lot of content, and you're you're good to go in any market you uh you want to launch. Uh, Sergio, that's that's all we've got time for today. A big thank you to Sergio Osle for joining us and giving such a great insight into Movistar, uh, Movistar Plus, and the Spanish market. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for everyone who's tuning in. Thank
2: you so much, Nick, and everybody.